What's up, everybody? How are you? Good, good. Some of you are really excited, then some of you are really excited. Are you glad to be in church? All right, good deal. Well, listen, before we get into part two of Destined to Worship, I want to um, give you a little bit of good news. Um, this weekend is a huge weekend for us here at Bay. If you're a part of our family, we are launching our third campus in San Pedro Sula today in Honduras. This afternoon at 4 o'clock, they will have their very first service there. And, of course, that's where Pastor is, um, spending this weekend with him. Um, and myself and a team, we were down there this week getting set up and training the team and preparing uh, the campus. And it was an incredible week. And we had our very first night of worship there on Thursday night with our launch team and our core team of volunteers. And um, it was an incredible week. We were in a beautiful building. Uh, it's portable, so the team's setting up and tearing down every week. So pray for them. Um, with that, but uh, absolutely incredible week. Um, so let me let you see just a little bit of video of what happened this week and the night of worship, our very first night of worship. Check this out. Honduras, let's give a big shout out to Bay America. Well, Bay community, you are missing it. The first night of worship in Bay Honduras is phenomenal, and we're excited. This weekend is our grand opening, and all these guys, one more time, are going to give you a great big shout out all the way from San Pedro Sula. Come on, guys. Give them a big shout out one more time. Did I get you excited? Come on. You guys are the 10 o'clock crowd. You're supposed to be excited. You're supposed to be happy. You've had your coffee. You're ready, right? All right, well, let me just real quick, let me welcome everybody over in Mobile. It's great to have you guys with us and everyone watching online. Welcome to Bay. Welcome to our, our weekend experience. Um, we're in week two of Destined to Worship. Um, we are simply talking about the reason we were put on this earth, and that's to worship. God created us for this thing alone, to worship Him. And Pastor pointed out last week that even in, in eternity, it's the thing that we will always do. It's the thing that we're called to do now that will extend into eternity. And some of you guys, I, I realize, are coming from different traditions and different, um, you know, faith and different levels of faith. And some of you guys maybe are here for the very first time. Some of you have maybe never worshipped in a church like this before. Maybe you've never been in a church before. And so the idea of worship is different to a lot of different people. We've, we've pieced our definition of worship together um, through little bits and pieces of things that we've assembled ourselves. Um, and so the, God's idea of worship is most likely different from your idea of worship. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Right, because we all kind of 
pieced our own thing together. And we, you know, some of you view Sunday morning, 30 minutes of worship time as worship. And that's kind of where it stops. And of course, it doesn't stop there. And some of you guys that are a little bit more seasoned, you know, you, oh, no, that's not worship. That's just an expression of worship, blah, 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 blah. But it just depends on where you are, where you've come from, and your walk of life. Well, today, what I want to kind of talk about is I want to talk about taking worship and making it practical and making it part of your everyday life and literally living a life of worship, something that we walk out every single day because ultimately that's what it's designed to be. It's not a set-aside time. It's not just singing. It's not just this one thing, but it's meant to be a part, the very core of who we are as human beings. It's why we were here is to worship our God. Because he's worthy of our worship, right? Because he's great and he's wonderful and he's worthy of every bit of worship that we can give him. Louis Giglio defines worship this way, and I love this definition. He says, worship is our response to God for who he is and what he's done, expressed in and by the things we say and the way that we live. Worship is our response, both personally and corporately, when we're here together, to God for who he is and what he's done, expressed in and by the things we say and the way that we live. A simpler way of saying it would be this. Worship is a whole life response to the greatness of God. You may want to write that down. No one is moving. Worship is a whole life response to the greatness of God. Everything. Every piece of you. Not not a compartmentalized block of time. Not a form. Not one expression. But every expression. Everything that we are. A whole life response to God. Because of his greatness and his glory and who he is. I love that the word response is in that definition because it tells us that we don't initiate worship, God does. He's always there. His greatness is always there. It's up to us just simply to respond to it. God initiates worship. He's great. He's wonderful. He's amazing, and we respond to that. Whenever he reveals something to us, we respond. Whenever he imparts something into us, we respond. Whenever he shows us just how amazing he is and he shows up in your life, we respond by saying, God, you are so amazing. Right? Whenever he calls us, we respond by answering. Whenever he leads us, we respond by following. Right? So our worship is simply a response to him being him in everyday life and everything that he is. So today I want to talk about living a life of worship and specifically living a life of worship in the middle of your life. Not generally, but right where you are today, right in the stuff that you're in, right in the situations and the circumstances and the problems and the predicaments and the obstacles that you face on a daily basis. How in that do we live a life of worship? How do we go through everyday life focusing on him the only way to respond to him is to see him right we've got to keep our eyes on him we've got to stay locked on to who he is we've got to stay locked on to his greatness locked on to who he is it's the only way that we can live this life of worship 
is to lock our eyes onto him. And I love the way Paul says it in Colossians 3. He says this, so if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, is anybody serious? Then act like it. That's what he says. If you're serious about it, then act like it. In other words, do something different. Because what you're doing right now is not good enough. You're not acting like you're wanting to live this life. So, hey, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up. Everybody say, look up. And be alert to what's going on around Christ. That's where the action is. That's the priority. That's the focus. See things from his perspective. I love this idea of looking up. Hey, listen, don't focus on the things that are right in front of you. Don't don't shuffle along absorbed into your little world, into your little thing, into what's happening to you. But, hey, look up. See things from his perspective. Focus on him because when you look to him, you'll see his greatness. You'll see his glory. You'll see him moving in your everyday life. And then what happens? You respond. Naturally. Because when you see the glory of God, you can't help but to respond. When you see God show up in your everyday life, you can't help but say, God, you're amazing. You're so awesome. You're so wonderful. Our attention, our eyes, our focus is looking up toward heaven. And we're focusing on the thing that Christ presides over. That Christ has said, hey, this is what's important. This is what you should focus on. Not that little bitty thing that you think is so important. We look to him. We look up in every single day, in everything in our life. I I, I like to use the analogy of driving a car. You know, whenever we're driving a car, we're looking out the windshield, we're looking out the window, we're looking up, right? And up is where the direction is, right? Up is where the beauty is, the scenery. Up is where safety is, right? Because the moment we lose contact and we get hyper-focused and, you know, you start looking for something and you're scrambling, something's underneath your feet or you're trying to find your, your MP3 player, you want to play a new song or the kid's screaming in the back seat and you're trying to slap a kid, you know, whatever. And whatever's going on, you get all of a sudden, you take your eyes off of the important thing, right? Because all the rest of us are on the road. You take your eyes off of the important thing and you get hyper-focused on something. That's why texting and driving is so bad. Because you zone in on one little thing and the next thing you know, you've disconnected and you've lost sight of direction. You've lost sight of beauty and you've lost sight of safety. You've disconnected from what's happening out there. So the thought here is look up. Keep your eyes on what's important. The eyes of your heart on Jesus Christ. Not just 60 minutes on the weekend. But in everyday life, keep your heart connected to the heart of God. And everything that we do every single day, whether it's a good day or a bad day, whether you get what you want or not, right? Whether they were nice to you or not, whether your wife is nice to you or not, look up. No matter what's going on, we focus on the heart of God, our heart connected to his heart. Here's a couple of things really quick that happen whenever we look up. Looking up heightens our awareness of God in our everyday life. It helps us realize that God Almighty, the creator of the universe, who is managing the universe, cares about your life so much that he's with you right now. 
right? That he wants to be involved in every part of your life, in everything that you do. And whenever we do that, it keeps our problems in a perspective because, because in everything we know that Jesus is with us, that the greatness of God is with us. It brings to mind all that's good in life. When we focus on God, we realize how blessed we are, how good our life is. In the midst of the other stuff, we focus on God and we see, man, God, you are amazing. You are everything. You're moving in my life, even though I don't know it sometimes. You're moving in my life. The second thing is looking up is presenting your everyday life as an offering to God. It's realizing that in everything we do, it's an honor of God. It's to glorify God. It's in response to God. Whenever we feel the love of God, we respond by not only loving him, but loving other people. And so it's a response of God. It's a response to God. Um, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering, as worship. Live your life as a response to the greatness of God. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Get your eyes off of it and instead fix your attention on God Almighty. Look up. Focus on him. Put your attention on him and you will be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Respond to it. See him and respond. The only way that we can live a life of worship is when we keep our eyes Focused on him when we watch him. Everything that we are, the way you parent, the way you treat your boss, the way you treat your job, the respect that you give toward people, the interactions, the conversations, everything that we are. If you were to do all of those things in God's honor right now, would it work the way it is? Or would you have to change some things? Which would, would some things change in the way you're doing those things right now? Because to live a life of worship means that he comes first. He's priority. The third thing, real quick, is looking up is constant communication with God. When we're connected to God and our eyes are first and foremost, the eyes of our heart are connected to God, then we're in constant communication with him. First Thessalonians uh, 5.16 says, Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. At first glance, that's a little bit um, tough, huh? You want me to pray continually all the time? Like that's all I'm supposed to do? Think about it like this. You know, we all have our smartphones. Well, most of you, if you're, yeah, we all have our smartphones. Right, and the new smartphones, like text messages, are a conversation. Right, it's not just individual text. So look at it this way: of staying in continual conversation with God, it's just like a text message conversation. Like, there's probably three or four people in your life that you text continually, right? Not constantly. Well, my wife does; she lets me know every. The kid just pooped, you know, whatever. We we're eating lunch, you know, whatever. She's really good at that. She could write a book on texting everything. But you know what I'm saying? Like there's three or four people in your life that you stay in that constant communication. 
right? My friends and my coworkers and my spouse and my dad. And, you know, we're just every now and then, every hour or two, it's, hey, this, hey, that. And then they'll respond an hour later. And then there's this, and there's that. And it's just this continual conversation. It's not every day I'm having to start up a whole new conversation. So how's it going? So how's your life? So what's happening? No, it's just this constant conversation that we're always talking to one another. We always have open lines of communication. That's what looking up does. It puts him on the forefront of your heart and mind to where as, as you walk into a meeting, you're just simply under your breath saying, all right, God, help me right now. I'm going into this thing. I don't know what I'm walking into. Hey, give me wisdom here, Lord. Hey, God, I, I don't know what I'm feeling. I'm feeling something really weird right now. Why am I dealing with this? And why am I, why am I feeling this way whenever I talk to this person or when I handle this situation? Why, what's going on inside of me? And you're just open conversation. Hey, here's what's happening. Here's what's going on. This is how I feel. Why do I feel this way? Why am I angry about this? Why am I frustrated with this? What's going on inside of me that gives me this feeling? Right? And it's just open conversation. I'm not saying that we walk around with our heads in the cloud and everything's this super spiritual thing and you're no earthly good. I'm not saying that you're singing kumbaya in conference meetings and board meetings. I'm not saying that, that you miss meetings because you're too busy sitting in your car praying. I'm not, I'm, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that you take him with you. That you take him with you into those things and you live a life looking up, focusing on him first. The problem is, it sounds really good, but it's much harder to live out. It's much more difficult for us to live it out. Why? Because it's a lot easier to look down than it is to look up. It's a whole lot easier, like Paul said, to focus on the things right in front of you, to get hyper-focused, absorbed into those things right in front of you to where you're shuffling along. I love the, the imagery of that, shuffling along. Just I almost even kind of see the shoulders down, right? And just literal shuffling. You're, just, you're shuffling along. And how many of us live that way? That we're constantly looking down and we're focusing on the things that really don't matter. They matter to you. They matter in this moment. But the moment you look up and you see his perspective, you realize, wow, it really doesn't matter. This is really not important because he's so much bigger than this little bitty thing that I'm going through. There's a couple of things that I want to point out real quick that I think cause us to look down. And one of those are hardships and big things in our life that happen. Whether it's a death in the family, whether it's um, you know, a problem at work or a financial problem or getting laid off or it's you know, issues with your kids and, and how you're raising your kids and what's going on. Or maybe it's just decisions from five, ten years ago that are coming back to haunt you, that are plaguing you, that you're still dealing with or ex-spouses or, or all this marriage problem or whatever's going on. There's this thing that just will not let up. And most of us, if not all of us, what happens is we look down. The moment that thing comes up, the moment, the moment an issue arises, whether it's this week, next week, whenever it is, you look down. It may not be immediate, but when you come into this room, a lot of you, you're able to look up and you focus upward. And you sing songs, and we focus on God, and we look up, and we say, man, I'm, and we sing these lyrics like, I'm giving my heart to you, I'm giving my life to you, God, and you're my everything, and you're all this, and you're all that, and we're, we're looking up, we're focusing on God, we're looking up, we're giving him everything. 
And then we walk out that door, and some of us, it's immediate. Some of us, it's after the first text from somebody, or it's an email, or, or it's pulling up your bank statement, or it's a conversation, or whatever. But eventually, as you settle from church and from worship, you just, your head just slowly does this. And by Monday, this is what we look like. We've gotten so absorbed into that one thing. We've gotten so absorbed into our problems that we've forgotten to look up, to live our life looking up, focusing on him. There was two guys in the book of Acts that, um, that ended up in prison. And they were um, Paul and Silas. And some of you guys may know the story, but basically they were out preaching the gospel, doing amazing things. And they were arrested they were beaten, and they were put into the dungeon. They were actually put into the dungeon inside the dungeon. Okay, they were shackled. The Bible says they were shackled at their feet and their wrists. So they were literally sitting on the ground, shackled, bound, and they have no idea what's going to happen next. All they know is that they were just beaten, and now they're in shackles. They have no idea what's coming next. And I know a lot of you probably feel very similar to that. Whatever that thing is that's like right in your face right now, that's just glaring at you, you think, man, this is so much, this is so fun to worship God and this is so nice, but the real world is going to hit me the moment that I walk out of here. And whatever that thing is, those shackles, that, that prison cell, you walk out of here and you go, God, there's that thing again. There's that hurt again. There's that, that issue. There's that problem. And I love what Paul and Silas did. They didn't, they didn't look down and complain about their shackles. They didn't focus on literally what was happening right there in front of them. They didn't. And you know, human nature, I'm sure there was a little bit of, come on, come on, Paul. I mean, come on, Silas. Come on, Paul. Let's, guys, let me, come on. We got to stay focused. Okay, we got to stay focused. Let's, let's just pray. You know what? We, there's nothing else we can do. Let's just look heavenward. Let's pray. Let's worship. Let's look to our God. And it's exactly what they did. They just began to sing. The Bible says in Acts 16, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Immediately, their, their problem got really small. God got really big. And the next thing you know, suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. They literally walked out of the door. And not only that, but the, the, the guy that was keeping guard, they went home with him and his entire family got saved and baptized that day. Why? Because they looked up. They focused upward. They focused toward heaven. The thing that you focus on is always going to grow. The thing that you focus on is always going to get bigger and bigger and bigger, right? The longer you stay in your mind and you just, just cycle these things over and over, and how am I going to get out of it? How am I going to figure it out? And how am I going to beat this? And how am, I going to, how am I going to solve this problem? The bigger that problem gets and the smaller God gets way back in the background. But the more we focus on him and we put him first and foremost, he gets bigger. The problem gets smaller and smaller and smaller until then all of a sudden God reveals himself and he does something amazing and you respond by saying, God, you are amazing. I, I have no idea how you just pulled that off. God, you are incredible. It's worship. That's living a life of worship. The second thing that I think stops us and makes us look down is feelings of inadequacy and shame. 
I mean, some of you, maybe you walked in today and you feel like, you know what, I messed up so bad this week. I have no business even being in a church, much less lifting my hands and singing these songs. And some of you feel like that every single day. You go to open your Bible and immediately there's guilt and there's shame and you're like, man, I'm not good enough. I messed up yesterday. I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have done that. I'm not good enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not strong enough. I keep giving into that temptation. I keep failing. I keep falling down. And we allow that feeling to keep us from looking up. And again, we drop our heads and we look down and we dwell on that thing, that inadequacy, that failure, that shame. There's a guy in the Bible that dealt with this and you, you may not would think of him as your first thought, but um, David was quite the worshiper. I mean, I think of anything, he was King David, but I think he's probably more famous for being a worshiper, being someone that danced before the Lord, that wrote so many of our psalms and our songs and just was just had the ultimate heart of worship. When you think worship, if you've been in church for any length of time, you think of David, King David. But yet at the same time, he was a man full of failures, mistakes, and inadequacies. He had, he had a, 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 an affair and killed the husband of the woman. And while he's repenting for this, in Psalm 51.5, he says this, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. There's two other places in Psalm that he refers to him being conceived in sin. And he goes on to say in one of those that his mom was a maidservant of his father, Jesse, not his wife. And I don't know if you knew that or not, but he was an illegitimate son. He was inadequate in all ways. He wasn't even, he wasn't even a part of the family. The day that the prophet came and told his dad, Jesse, he said, hey, bring all your sons out. I want to anoint the next king of Israel from your household. Guess what? He called his seven sons, and he left David out in the field tending to the flocks, which is a servant's job. He said, you know what? You're not even good enough to be called my son. There's absolutely no way you could possibly be the next king of Israel, so you keep doing what you're doing, shoveling poop. Just stay on out there. All the other sons, they come out all dressed up and fancy, and they're ready to go, and they're smelling good. And the prophet looks at him and he goes, nope, it's not these guys. It's none of them. He goes, you got another one. Where is he? he goes, well, he's out shoveling poop right now. I don't know. Which one? Well, call him in here. Get him in here. So here comes David busting in the door, stanking, smelling to high heavens, looking like a ragamuffin. And the prophet says, that's the one right there. Let me tell you something. God specializes in using messed up people. He specializes in it. So no matter the mistake you've made, no matter the problem, no matter the guilt and the shame, look to heaven. I mean, there's a reason why we look to David and we go, man, he is a worshiper. He is a man after God's own heart. He is incredible. He did all these things, yet he made mistakes and he was inadequate and he was a failure by our, right? Absolutely, in every single way. He was a failure, yet God used him more than anyone else. Absolutely incredible. And I love this. David said this in Psalm 34, and the Psalms are full of this. But he said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name forever. 
I will bless the Lord at all times, even when I don't feel like it, even when I feel inadequate, even when I feel like a failure, even when I feel like a mistake, even when I feel shame, even when I've messed up, even when I've fallen on my face, I am going to praise God. I'm going to look up. We all have storms in life. We all have problems. We all have things in our life that distract us, that cause us to look down. But I hope that today you'll walk away and you'll go, you know what? I'm going to start looking up. I'm going to make him the priority. There's a story in the New Testament that we all know. Most of you have heard about it. It's when Peter walks on the water. And it's such an amazing example of this because, you know, Jesus hung out on the shore a little bit longer and he sent the disciples across the sea. And about 3 a.m., the storm had kind of started to brew. And so Jesus walks on the water toward them. And they see him, they get a little freaked out, and he calls out and he says, hey guys, it's just me, calm down. And the moment Peter hears his voice, he says, Jesus, if it's you, call me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, all right, come on. He steps out of the water and the waves and the wind and all of this turmoil is happening. And he steps out on the waves and his eyes are locked onto Jesus. He steps out in faith. And he begins to walk. And the moment that he looks at the wave, what happens? He sinks. The moment his eyes lose contact with Jesus Christ, he begins to sink into his problem, his issue, the thing that is right there in front of him, swallowing him whole. And he cries out to Jesus, and Jesus reaches down and pulls him right back up. I want you to think about what is, that, what is that storm? What is that wave? What is that thing in your life? Maybe more than one. But there's probably one big one that surfaces all the time. That's that one thing that you just feel like I can't gain any ground because of this wave, this one wave. I like to refer to that story as Peter and the wave. You know, kind of like Peter and Goli- I mean, uh, David and Goliath, but it's Peter and the wave. He went up against the wave and he lost. simply because he took his eyes off of Jesus. When we look at Jesus, when we keep our eyes on him, our faith gets bigger. Our trust gets bigger. Our heart gets bigger. Our response to the greatness of God gets bigger and bigger and bigger to where then we can truly be a light in our world. Then we can truly walk through this life differently with that new, resurrected, better life that Paul talks about. Completely different. Not muddling around, shuffling around right now where you're trying to figure this out and fix this problem and solve this and juggling all this stuff. Hey, look up. Look up. Get his perspective. If you will, just close your eyes for a second. The guys are going to sing a song in just a moment. But before then, I want you just to visualize the wave in your life. What is that thing? What is that thing? And as we sing this song, this is how we're going to end today. As we sing the song, I want you just to visualize what that wave is. And then I want you to look above it and see the face of Jesus Christ. He's reaching down. He's pulling you up. And he wants you to live a life of worship. He wants you to live a life in response to him and everything that he is.